confidence we get from Jesus coming and what that means. And we talk about this morning a lot about hope. And, you know, we use this word hope in our culture a lot and even hopelessness a lot. Um, in fact, the other week, my wife used the word hopeless on me. You see, she can take me out. I, I'm serious. But I, you, you, you laugh, but it's really true. She can take me out. She can dress me up. But I'm not, like, there are times in her life, and she actually told me with this story that I'm going to share with you, that it was really one of the first times in our marriage that she actually wanted to go, I am not with him at all. Like, so just, if, if you had me on a pedestal, I'm about to shatter that, okay? Um, so we went to the movies, went to see Hunger Games, and uh, you know, you, when you go to the movies and you buy that, like, $70 thing of popcorn, that's, you know, and, and you get that, like, you get the soda that's, like, this tall, and has like 17 pounds of ice and like one ounce of soda in it. And so we, we, we took this in with us to the theater and we're watching the Hunger Games. And man, that popcorn, I don't know what they do to movie theater popcorn, but it's like you're addicted to it, right? Like you, just, you, you can't open your mouth wide enough to get the handfuls in. You're like, ah, like, you know, so I'm doing that and taking these big gulps of soda. I got Barks root beer in there. And man, it's, it's awesome. And I'm just doing this whole movie. And about halfway through the movie, the movie gets to this really serious, quiet point. And um, I take this big pull, handful of popcorn. I'm eating, chomping it down. I'm really dry. So I take this huge gulp of soda. And then, of course, I'm ready for more popcorn. I reach in to get more popcorn. I open my mouth. And you know what happens? Any of you know what happens when I open my mouth? Didn't see it come. I didn't even try it, honestly. Honestly. I mean, had I tried it, I'd have been really proud of it. But it was just like this moment where I opened my mouth, and all of a sudden it was quiet in the movie theater, and I go, bah! And everyone in the theater just starts, like, snickering. The guy beside my wife goes, nice one, bro. <laughs> and she is, just, she just, she is so embarrassed. She just looks at me, you're hopeless. You're hopeless. Like, I cannot believe you did that. And I'm like, well, believe it. You're here with me. And you married me. So, yeah, so hopelessness. I mean, we use this word a lot. And uh, what it really means often is this, like, is there no hope of you ever changing? There's no hope of my circumstances getting better. Is there any point in my life where I can say, like, man, in this place that I'm at, in this place of maybe disappointment or loneliness or this relationship that just doesn't work, is it going to get better? Sometimes we need a lot of reassurance. We need some reassurance, something that takes us from that point of darkness and despair, that point of, like, I don't know, to a place where we can say a thing that we can hold on to and say no. It will get better. There is something to, to hold on to because without hope, we don't really live. Without hope of what can come, we just exist. We don't really live. And this story that we're going to read today, in fact, the whole book that we're reading from today was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a researcher. Luke was one of those guys, you know, where when he tells you something, you don't argue. You can go Google it if you want. He didn't make it up. Like, he's thoroughly researched. So you just never argue with the guy, right? This is Luke. And he's actually, he actually starts his book with these words. He says, I've carefully, after having carefully researched all of this, carefully making sure that this is all true, I have decided to write a careful summary for you, for his friend, so that you know you can have confidence in all these stories that you hear, they're not just stories. They actually happened. I checked into it. I talked to the eyewitnesses. I want you to be reassured. You know, there's a big difference between knowing about a story and knowing with absolute confidence that it is true, right? Like, if you just heard a good story, you'd be like, well, that's pretty cool. 
But when you know for sure, when someone tells you, I'm, and I, you trust them, and you know they've researched it, and they say this is true, you're willing to try it. You're willing to hold on to it. It like becomes a rope for you towards hope. And that's what Luke's story is all about. It's about the new possibilities that God provides to have confident hope. That God can provide all kinds of possibilities, no matter where you feel like you're at, no matter if you feel like you're on the fringe or you're really in or things are going well, wherever you're at, Luke says, I write the story to reassure you that you can have confident hope in the new possibilities that God provides, in that whatever happens in this life, there is a glorious life to come. There is something better every day that God wants to provide for you if you look and see it. And that's the kind of infusion of hope I think we all need, confident hope. And so that's what I want to talk about with you today is what Luke's offering us. It's this whole idea of Jesus comes to offer all of us, no matter where we feel and find ourselves on the fringe or otherwise, this confident hope that God can bring new possibilities into our life, new ways of living, new ways of looking at things. So if you want to get out your outline today, you can follow along. Um, I've made your outline particularly easy today because I want you to really see how this intersects with your life. And so there's actually some check boxes for you to make. Now, if those of you who come here regularly um, or those that you don't, like we usually have like blanks that you can fill in. And I know that would just be exhausting for you. You guys were all shoveling and everything else this weekend. And so you I don't want you to be exhausted. I just want you to like, be able to focus on, where does this really intersect with my life? Okay, so this morning, let's start talking about how Jesus brings confident hope to people on the fringe. What does that mean, and how does that inner story intersect with it? If you've ever been in a situation where you've experienced disappointment, or you felt like, I just don't feel understood. I don't feel like anybody gets me. If you've ever been in a place in life where you're like, I don't know if what I, like, I know what I want to happen, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see that that's really going to, that there's even a possibility of that. If you've never been in that place, you know what it's like to feel like you're on the fringe. And the story that we're talking about today has a lot of people that feel like they were on the fringe. I mean, the story is really about some guys that are on the outskirts of society, the fringes of society. They were, they were shepherds. They weren't allowed to participate in religious activities. They were, so they were kind of on the outskirts of God and religion. They were kind of on the outskirts of society because of the way they lived and their profession kept them outside town, and because of the way they smelled, kept them outside some of the circles of town, you know, when they came into town. But more than that, there's even in this story is a story of of a mother who is not wed, who is looked down with shame because of the place that she's in. And all of society went, you're on the fringe. And we don't know if this is really anything's valid about this. And so that's where we find and we pick up the story. Now, I want to read you the story of these shepherds, but you need to know um, what was happening, a little, little preamble to the story, catch you up to this point. Um, so, so far, here's what's happened. An angel has appeared to a woman named Mary and told her, listen, you're gonna, I know that you're a virgin, but you're going to give birth. And that birth is from me. Like, it is actually Jesus, my son. It's actually God come in the flesh. And that's pretty unbelievable to her. But an angel told her, so she, she believes it. And then there's confirmations for her along the way. She goes to visit one of her relatives, and God confirms it in their lives too. And so all around her, all these confirmations. God then comes to Joseph, who has a mind to just like put her away, to put her out in shame, to say like, listen, we're engaged, but this is not acceptable behavior. Like you're pregnant with somebody's child, and it ain't mine. And he has a mind to put her out until an angel comes and visits him talks with him about it, tells him about the importance of this birth, that this is not just anyone. This is the Messiah, the long-awaited, promised, deliver person who will save not just the whole world, but will save him. 
And so they find themselves in Bethlehem because the emperor, Caesar Augustus, says everyone's got to go back to their town of origin to be counted. And so they're out of town in this strange place. They come into town. They can't even find a place to stay. And so the only place left for them when she's about to give birth is a stable, okay, with animals and all the smells and everything else that goes on in a stable. It's not a pretty stable. I can't imagine. I, I grew up in a farm area, and so I don't know if you've ever been in a barn with lots of animals. Not exactly probably the place that my wife would say, hey, if I was choosing to give birth, could we give birth there? Like, I would like that. Like, not exactly the place that you're looking for. Lots of things that to look at and go, ooh, what about this? What about that? And then the story picks up with Jesus' birth and the big public announcement, okay? Big public announcement coming on. This is the first time this is announced to the public. And this is what we hear read in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, if that sounds a little wild and crazy to you, it's because it is. I mean, the Bible was filled with these stories that you go, really? Like, that happens? Yes, it happened, because Luke carefully researched it. He wanted you to know, I know this is going to sound wild and crazy, but it happened. I talked to these guys. I talked to the other people around, and it actually did happen. And they were terrified. This is their first, like, wah, spiritual experience. That They're like, what just happened? God is intersecting and intervening in their life. And it says that they're terrified, but that what does the angel do? The angel reassures them. Don't be afraid, he says. I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him with this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in the manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those in whom God is pleased. And when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. Now, I'm just picturing this whole scene going down and uh, them getting this huge infusion, like this is a big event. And they say, hey, let's go to Bethlehem. And if I'm one of the shepherds, I'm like, uh, uh, did so- anybody ask the angel like where to look? Because there's probably more than one stable in Bethlehem. And they're probably like, anybody get directions for where this is happening and where to go? And, and you know, one church father actually uh, kind of imagined that maybe the first stable they went to was their home base, like where they had their sheep at, and that kind of, just kind of to figure out, okay, where are we going to go from here? And that perhaps that was the stable that Mary and Joseph were in. I mean, wouldn't that be the coolest thing ever? Like if you're like, okay, where are we going to look? Well, let's go back to our stable first. We'll start there, and then we'll go out. And you walk in. And here is a baby, strips of cloth, a mother, and a, and a, and a Joseph, and the son. All, all of this happening, like, overwhelming. Moreover, I think what's really interesting in this story is this. Why the shepherds? Like, this is the Savior. If this is the Savior, the Messiah, the big deal of the world, why these guys on the outside of town? Why tell them? I and mean, why not on the 6 o'clock news? Why not the Times Square of Bethlehem on the Jumbotron, right? What, why not the temple where the priests are? Like, this just confirms for me once again the pastor is always the last to know, right? Like, here God comes, and he doesn't even tell those guys. He tells these shepherds, why them? 
why was it so important for them to be the first to know? If you've ever felt like that whole idea of feeling like you're on the fringe, you know what happens there. You understand, like I remember my first year at Penn State, uh, my parents dropped me off. I graduated from school of, my high school class graduation was 60 people, okay? I get dropped off at Penn State on a campus of 40,000 people. This is pretty, like, overwhelming. I didn't know a soul. I didn't go there because I had friends there. I didn't go there. I, go, I went there because I had a Navy Rochi scholarship, and that was the only way I was paying for school at that point. I went there because I could afford it. it, was, it that's all the reason I went there. And so I show up on campus. I don't know a soul. And for the first six months, like, I remember going to the dining hall by myself. I remember just hoping, like, wonder if my, my roommate's going to be around, like, just trying to arrange things just to get to know people. Cause I felt, felt like I was on the fringe. I was on the outside. I didn't feel understood. I didn't feel like I had all these friendships. If you've ever been in that spot, it creates sort of a vacuum. It makes you aware of things that you're not real secure about and yourself. And in that place... I felt sometimes discouraged, sometimes overwhelmed, but it was also the place that I found God. It was the place that God showed up in my life, and I realized my need for him. And so I want you to take a moment, just for a moment. Here's where you get to get your pen out and just do a little bit of work, a little checkbox today. Where do you feel like on the fringe in your life? Sometimes in your life, there's that question in your outline, like, where is it that you feel like you're in the fringe? Maybe disappointed, maybe you don't know if it's going to work out. Maybe you just don't feel like it's in control. You just don't know what to do with it. You don't have much hope with it. Where is that for you? Is it in, maybe it's with your extended family, with a relationship there. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's someplace in your immediate family. Maybe it's with a job or career, some place that you feel like, I just don't know if that's going to work out, or with a friend. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's in your relationship with God. Like, I don't know what my relationship with God, like, I don't have a certainty about it. I don't have a confidence about it. Where do you feel like you're on the fringe? Because God wants to meet you in that place. Now, my guess is, if you're like me, the fringe is not a place that you welcome. It's not a place that you want to go to, right? Like, I love this feeling of feeling like I'm empty or there's something missing in my life. I don't. I don't want to spend any time in that, any more time than I have to. I'd rather cover it up and pretend it's not there. So why does Jesus come to these shepherds on the fringe for the same reason that he comes to us in the places in our life that we're on the fringe. Because it's in that place that we can meet God. It's in that important place where we feel our need for God most deeply. It's in that place that we have the greatest opportunity to respond to God. In that place of desperation, that place of the fringe, we have the greatest opportunity to say, God, I need you here more than any other place in my life, and I am willing to give that to you. I'm willing to let you lead me in this. I might not be willing to let you lead me over here, but here I'm willing to let you need me, lead me. Here I'm willing to say, I've screwed this up enough that I need your forgiveness. I need you to enter into my life. That's what's so important about the fringe. That's what's so important about God coming to us in those places. Because those are the places that we answer important questions. Questions like, am I going to choose to continue to be stuck? Or am I just going to abandon all the relationships and the circumstance? Because I just don't think it's going to work out, so I'm just going to abandon it rather than keep feeling stuck. It's in that place, that place of feeling like you're on the fringe, that you ask important questions like, am I going to keep trying to do this my way? Am I going to keep having this 
strategy that's untested because I'm trying to do it? Am I going to keep trying to rely on other people to make this work for me and just keep being disappointed and feel like I don't have hope? Or am I going to surrender to God again and say, God, though it seems dark to me and not doesn't seem dark to you, God, in this place, though I don't know what's going to happen, I think you do. Because, God, you have given me promises to rely on in the past. I will count on those promises in the future. Because, God, Luke said he could reassure me that the story of Jesus is true. And if the story of Jesus is true for others, the story of Jesus can be true for me. That's what God wants to give us. That's what God wants to invite us to. It all boils down to this. Do I give in to disappointment? Do I give up and say, just, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. Or do I give in to God's promises? Do I give in to disappointment or do I give in to God's promises and say, no, God promised some things and I am going to count on them in confident hope that they can come true? Because that's what God wants to invite us to. I think that's God's greatest invitation to our lives. He is writing a story in your life. And his good question is, will you be a part of that story? Will you hope and put your focus on me and be a part of that story? Because I want to bring you a confident hope that I am at work and that I haven't forgotten you, I haven't not sleep, I'm not, not paying attention, I am paying attention. And even though it doesn't seem like it right now, I will come through. I will be with you. Just pay attention. Jesus brings confident hope to people on the fringe. Why? So that they can experience new possibilities. That's what I want to talk to you about now, just this idea of how do we experience new possibilities with God? How do we have a fresh start with him? You know, for the first 10 years at daybreak, our our catchphrase, our way of expressing what we hope most for people is that every day can be a fresh start with God. Anybody, any of you guys remember that, been with us long enough to remember that? Every day can be a fresh start with God. And that's God's great message. That's Jesus' great message to you. Every day can be filled with new possibilities with God, a fresh start, a new way to go. That's what the shepherds got invited to. You're on the outside of religion, and Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into spirituality. I'm inviting you into the inner circle. God says, I want you to experience, before anyone else does, what it's like to be in the presence of my son. What it's like to be there in the moment. And let's look at the next moves that the shepherds make, according to Luke. It says in Luke 2, verse 16, they say, hey, let's go see what the Lord has done. And they say, they hurried to the village and found Mary and, Villa, Mary and Joseph. They didn't wait around with their hands in their pockets debating what just happened. I mean, they experienced what God was announcing, and they didn't say, well, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if God could really do that. Hmm. I wonder if it's really good. Well, maybe it won't really happen. Well, I'll just sit here and wait. No, they said it. they hurried. They went, I don't just wonder if it's true. I think it might be true, and I am willing to take a risk that it is true. And so let's go and see. Let's hurry off and go see what's happened. Now, if you know what, you know what shepherds' jobs are, right? What's a shepherd's job? Watch sheep, right? What happened to the sheep? Like, did you ever ask this question? What happened to the sheep? I mean, they, yeah, they're, see you guys. <laughs> Hope you're still around here and haven't gotten eaten till we get back. Because they are in such a rush. This is such an important moment. They take off, and they leave the sheep behind, and they go look for Jesus. And in this moment, it says, Scripture, that after seeing him, after they found the baby in the manger and they see him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. And the angel said to them about this child, 
And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. The shepherds went back to the flocks, and they glorified God for all they had heard and seen, as it just because it was just as the angel told them. They heard God's voice. They rushed off to experience it. And it was only by experiencing it that they could go and tell others it's true. And that's what God invites all of us to. You can't tell other people about Jesus, about religion, about church, until you go experience it. You need to experience Jesus for yourself firsthand on a regular basis so that you can go to others and share the story of hope of what it's like to be in Jesus' presence because there's something special about being in his presence. When they showed up, I don't know what their expectations were when they showed up to the stable to find a baby in a manger who was supposed to be the deliverer, the king, the master of the universe. I don't know what they expected. I know what I would have expected, some kind of glorious light and, a, you know, like our little manger over here with a crown and maybe a nice robe over top and like, wow, this is, you know, maybe the angels are there too singing. Maybe there's like a little choir church service. They're singing and rocking out. I don't know what they were, I don't know. Well, I, this is what I expected. I don't know what they expected. They, but I can tell you what they didn't get. They didn't get an incredible talk that inspired them when they were there. They didn't get fed, like no feeding of the 5,000, no miracles like that. The lepers were not healed. Lame people did not walk. Blind people did not see. These things that Jesus did later in his life, also well documented, none of those things happened in that moment. Just the presence of God in a manger, based on the promise of some angels in a field, changed them. They didn't go away disappointed like, well, that was kind of anticlimactic, right? I thought it was going to be this big thing, and it was this little thing. And too often we do that in our lives with God's new possibilities. We have these expectations about the way it needs to go, and when it doesn't go off that way, we come away disappointed. And God just says, come enjoy my presence. Come search for me in hope, and you'll find me, and you'll see me, and you'll walk away amazed. This is God's greatest invitation to every single one of us. Go directly to Jesus. Be in his presence. You don't have to know how everything is going to work out to take a chance on Jesus. You just need to know with reassurance, confidence, that Jesus is the man he said he was, that he pulled off exactly what God said he would pull off, and that he's worked in other people's lives, and he can work in yours too, and that he wants us to be open to. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, um, talk, I had encouraged a gal at Daybreak to get involved in a recovery group, a group we call Grief Share. It's when you lose someone and you're walking through that, and, and they, it's a way for them to walk through it and find God's presence and help them heal from that loss. And uh, she was talking about afterwards being in Grief Share, and she's telling me, just asked her some of the stories, she's telling me some of them, and I, I said, well, how did you... It's one story. I said, how did you connect? Like, what was it about that story that was so cool to you? And she says, because I realized if God could do it for them, then God could do it for me. And this is exactly what every one of us need to hear. It's the reason that we need to talk about God's stories. It's the reason we need to experience them. Because if God could do it for someone else, God can do it for us. And the confident hope that Jesus talks to us about is not just based on optimism, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow, because I don't know about your experiences, but here's the thing. 
I've been in places in my life where the sun doesn't come out tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day. But I've walked with God long enough to know now. And in those hard times where I've looked back over my shoulder and I've seen that even in the dark places where I didn't know where to step and I didn't know if it was going to be right, even then I look back and I go, look at what God did. Like he pointed me to that resource. He helped me to get connected with that person. He showed me in prayer how to have hope in that place. And I look back over my shoulder and I know that God has provided and that he comes through for the people who love him. If you search for him, he will give you the confident hope. This is not based on optimism. This is based on truth and fact. And that's what Luke says he wrote the story about Jesus for, that we could be reassured that what Jesus lived and died about is true. And we can count on his promises as real. Even when we don't feel it, even when it doesn't seem like it comes through, it's true and it's real. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans 15. The Apostle Paul was this guy who didn't believe a lick of what Jesus said. He didn't believe he was at all true until he met Jesus on the road in a supernatural experience one day, and then he became the most convinced person in history, wrote most of the New Testament because he was so convinced that Jesus' intersection with our life will change your life and that it's true and real. And so he says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will completely fill you with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I think Paul makes a couple assumptions here. Number one, you're not automatically filled with peace and joy. It's not an automatic for you. It's not an automatic for me. I mean, if you don't believe that, have a newborn. Get up in the middle of the night when they're crying and you can't comfort them, and you'll know there's no peace and joy in there in this child right now, right? There is just crying and grumpiness, and I don't know what to do, and you're a parent, and you get grumpy, and you're like, so frustrated there and when we become adults and as we grow we realize there is a vacuum in our heart that can only be filled with the source of hope and the source of hope is not a person it's not a government it's not a new thing that's going to happen in our life it's not a how-to book it is jesus we don't believe what the bible says because the bible says it we believe what the bible says because jesus lived it because jesus predicted his death and he predicted his resurrection, and then he pulled it off. That's why I came to Jesus, because anybody who can do that is trustworthy, and I'm willing to trust what he says. Anybody who can do that and point me to other things, it's worth believing, because his death and resurrection wasn't just predicted by him. It was predicted 800 years in the past, and he pulled it off. Exactly, precisely what he said he did, he did. And this is why we have confident hope, because Jesus makes promises, and he comes through. Because Jesus says, I'm not just going to do it for others, I'm going to do it for you. Now listen, I, I've been on this journey probably over the last um, two or three months where God has encouraged me to be hopeful. And I've never been necessarily a hopeful person. I feel like God has shown me a lot about love. I feel like over the past five years, he's introduced me a lot about what faith really looks like, how to live that out. And I still have so much to learn about both of those subjects. But of the three great virtues, faith, hope, and love. I grew up in a home where just hope was not something that you counted on. It was never hopeful. It was always looking for the next bad thing to happen. And I realized that I've lived this out most of my adult life. And uh, as, I was, as I was thinking about that the other day, um, I had just some opportunity to take some quiet time. I was walking around this, this awesome pond, this lake area with some geese. 
And if you've ever, have you ever walked around the lake area that has a whole bunch of geese? Have you ever noticed that geese have little discretion about where they do their business? Like, like they don't have like a place that they do it, you know, they, they just, wherever it is, there it is. And it's almost like they like to like kind of create this barrier around the pond so you don't get to them. And so I'm walking and I'm, as I'm walking towards them, I'm like, isn't it gorgeous? I'm just taking it in. And then I realize there's all this goose bombs on the ground. And so I'm starting to, like, look down, and I'm avoiding them with every step, like, because it's everywhere. And after about five minutes of trying to walk around the pond like this, I realized, like, I have seen no new possibilities, no beauty for the last five minutes. I've been so focused on the ground and that I might get messiness on my shoes that I don't, I'm not even hopeful anymore. I'm not, I don't, I'm not taking in anything that's new. And I realized in that moment that's the way I've lived my life too long. I've looked down at all the mess, and when I, and I try to be avoid getting messy, try to avoid getting all this stuff, and I believe that what God was then speaking to me about as I was praying about it was, Sean, if you want to learn what hope is, you're going to have to be okay with being messy. You're going to have to be okay with this life's a little messy. You're going to get some stuff on your shoes. But if you, instead of looking down at all the mess, you look up around at what I'm doing and look for the new possibilities that I have for you, you will find me. You will find hope there. You will find me fulfilling promises, maybe in a different way than you ever expected, but you'll find me there. So stop looking down. Stop looking at the mess and start looking to me. There's a one more little checkbox area for you today to intersect with what does God want for you? What's the place in your life that you want to say, this is my prayer. This is the place where I need hope. New possibilities for me ahead in this area. We're about, to, we're about to experience baptism, and uh, baptism is a time when people really celebrate their stories, celebrate this idea of new possibilities with God. They, they've come to a place in their life where they said, Jesus, I need you. You're my forgiver. I want you to lead my life. I want you to set a new trajectory for me, and then they celebrate it with baptism, and it sets a trajectory in their life. Gracie Kunkel's about to get baptized. I was talking with her mom this past week about how that moment of baptism seals us in a way that just we almost, we remember it. And even if we don't fully understand it, in that moment when we're baptized, we go, though I might not fully understand what's ahead, I'm willing to step out and experience new possibilities with God. And so we're going to watch some baptism stories. I want you to think about that prayer. Where do you need God as you hear those stories? as you see Gracie get baptized, and when she goes down to the water and she comes back up, I want you to hoot and holler and celebrate and clap for her because this is her moment to say, God, there are new possibilities ahead. There are new things that you want to do in my life, and I'm going to live my life that way and not look at the mess, but look at all the hopeful things you have for me. So let's take a moment. Let's watch this video, and then we'll watch as Gracie gets baptized. I want to be baptized because I, I want to, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to show my friends and family how much I love Jesus. I want to be baptized because I want to show everyone that Jesus is the leader of my life. And in Matthew verse twenty-eight, verse nineteen, twenty says, "When Jesus was last on earth, he said, Go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age." And I want to be baptized because Jesus commanded me to. I want to be baptized because I want to know Jesus more. 
I want to be baptized because I love Jesus and I would like to share that with my church family. And I've um, had a relationship with him for a long time and it's uh, time now for me to be obedient and take the step of being baptized. I want to be baptized because there's a lot going on right now and it's like it's storming but I'm still going to sing and I'm still going to praise. When I was in, I would say, high school, I started to get into witchcraft. And through elementary school and everything, like friends would take us to Pioneer Club. And so I've been, you know, with Jesus forever. And I guess just being a teenager, you experiment. So I really got into witchcraft, not realizing what I was actually doing. And it got really bad. I don't even know how to explain it. So I just prayed and prayed and prayed. So that was the biggest thing that made me know that God was real. So ever since then, I knew, I knew. I want to be baptized because I want to show everybody that I'm a follower of Christ and I want to hear God better. I decided to be baptized because I asked God and Jesus to come into my heart and I just love them so much. And I'm thankful that Jesus died on the cross for us. I've always believed that, you know, in Jesus Christ, and I've always believed that Jesus Christ died for my sins and everyone's sins, whether they believe it or not. And, uh, I don't know, I just, I feel as though this is what God wants me to do. I didn't go to church for quite a while. I was uh, raised Catholic. Uh, later on in life, I had a bad experience with with uh, church at Christmas time of all times, and it kind of gave me a bad taste. And uh, I don't know. I just kind of separated myself from church. And uh, a few years ago, some friends of mine actually that go to this church. Uh, had invited me to come and, and check things out. And I remember I came to church, and it's it's very different from the Catholic church. You know, the music and everything was very different. I was like, I don't know if I like this. I don't, I don't know if this is going to be me. And so I just, I don't know, I just kept coming, and I kept coming, and the more I came, the more I felt like um, each, each Sunday the message was for me. There was something in the message that, that I could relate to in my personal life as it was right now. And I took that as a sign that, you know, this is where I belong. I feel as though I've, I've lived a lot in the 34 years that I've been here on this earth. And I've had cancer twice. And I feel as though, you know, God is keeping me around for some, some reason, whether I believe it or, or know what, what that reason is or not. But, you know, he's keeping me around for something. So.
your name because of what you've done, because of what you've promised, because you come through with your promises. We can have reassurance of what you, what's ahead, even when it doesn't look good, even when we're not sure ourselves. We don't have to be sure in ourselves. We need to be sure in you because you give us confident hope. So, Lord, give us confident hope this morning. Maybe even for the first time. God, I pray for anyone who's for the first time is going, I don't know if I've ever had confident hope in my relationship with God or my home in heaven. I mean, today's the day. Just say, Jesus, I need you in my life because you fulfilled the promises that you made. And you've done it in others. And you've been to heaven and back. You know it exists. You've created a way for a relationship with me. So today you just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your leadership. I need you in my life to give me hope for my future. And I base that hope on you and what you've done and you are. In Jesus' name. Maybe seated. Today, maybe you need to move from a place of hopelessness, a place of resignation. You know, I don't know if it's ever going to change, to a place of confident hope, a place of saying, I accept. And to have the two most powerful words in the language of faith in the places that we find ourselves like this, those two powerful words are for now. This is the way things are for now. But Jesus promised that someday they'll be different. And I count on that promise. I accept the way things are, and I have confident hope for what could be. So I want to encourage you this morning to take out your response card here at Daybreak. This is the way we encourage you to respond. Take a moment to ask for prayer, to make a commitment, kind of like a moment at the altar right at your seat with God. Maybe there's one of those prayers that you check mark, and you just want to write it down because I'm glad to pray it for you this week. The elders will pray it over you this week. Maybe this today is just your day to accept something new. You made a first time. You said, I, I'm committed. I, I've made a decision to trust Jesus for my future. I've never done that before. And you can write that down so I can pray for you. Maybe today um, you just want to take this challenge. And you can write this down. I take the hope challenge. Here's my hope challenge for you this week. This week, every day, Instead of getting up and just living your life, every day when you get up and choose to look for new possibilities, will you look, just take a moment every morning, three or four minutes, and say, God, I'm remembering that time that you did this. God, I remember how you told the story of Jesus in your life, and he pulled it off. He did all this stuff for me already. Because of that, I'm going to look for new things that you're doing in my life today, just for a week. Try and look for the new possibilities that God's providing you in your life. Instead of looking down at all the mess, look up and just see how it's working. Let go of your expectations about the way it has to go. And just for a week, say, God, whatever you're doing, I want to be open to it. I want to find you in it. And just see how he moves. Take a couple minutes while they're singing this worship song. Respond to God and let him confirm some things in your heart.